0: Much better. There we go. I was wondering why y'all were so quiet. I feel like a Brit in here today because I have my tea um, and my throat hurts very badly. And so, y'all can uh, pray God's grace that we would finish the sermon. It may be a lot shorter sermon because of that. I know some of you are rejoicing at that news. And so, that'll be good. I also apparently don't have that much more time before our hope candle burns out. And so, we don't want to lose hope, right? Um, And so, we have to make sure we get through this. But um, it's really exciting um, to be here with you all today. Um, I'm excited. Uh, on several fronts. One, isn't this great? All these gifts for the kids, right? We can give a round of applause. For that, yeah. Um, several of our community groups and even individuals within the church um, got gifts for the kids. We had another church that partnered with us that brought um, several gifts, uh, Providence, which is a church that meets in downtown, part of the Acts 29 network. And so um, we're just really excited um, to be able to give these to the kids. It's like the fishes and loaves. They've like multiplied. There are more gifts than people in here right now. And so um, that's really encouraging. But thank you all for that. Um, I'm excited to see how Campbell kind of responds to this. Um, Just being able to bless these kids who don't normally get gifts um, during the Christmas season will be really, really cool. Um, And so yeah, I'm excited. This is uh, good. I'm excited to dive into our text today as well. Um, We'll see how long I can go before my voice is done. Um, And so somebody may have to get up here and help me finish the sermon, all right? So if you feel spirit-led, just be ready to go when I call on you, okay? Um, But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in John chapter 5. We're going to start off in verse 18, where we left off last week. Um, If you have your smartphone, you can pull that out and follow along on your smartphone, okay? Um, We uh, will be in the, the YouVersion app if you look underneath the Live tab. You can actually follow along there um, live. There's quotes, uh, there's sermon notes, and uh, all the scripture will be up there. Polls, stuff like that. Um, if you do not uh, have the U version, don't want to download that, um, but you would like a uh, link to still follow that. Uh, the link. I think should be on the screen, depending on, there may be some, there we go, links up there. All right, so you can go ahead and type that right into your browser, um, and you can follow along that way as well. Um, Or please follow along. There are Bibles under every second and third chair around you. Um, If you physically don't own a Bible, would you take one of those and keep that? Um, We want you to have the Bible. We want you to take that home with you and be able to uh, get into God's Word. And so that's kind of our gift to you um, if you do not have one. All right, let's go ahead and dive right in. John chapter 5, we're going to pick it up here in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, the hymn is Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is a really key verse in this section. And let me kind of start off by saying um, this is going to be a little bit of a theological uh, ascending passage that we're looking at. In other words, there'll be a lot of um, theology that's kind of uh, laid out here. And so um, I would encourage you to put your thinking caps on through this because um, part of this is really important. It's um, Um, very practical once we realize the implications of what Jesus is talking about here. And so this is one of the key verses that kind of highlights this whole section right here is verse 18. And what is the this that he's talking about? It says this. Well, if you remember last week, uh, Pastor Bob talked about the healings that Jesus did, right? One of those healings happened to be of a man, and it was on the Sabbath. Now, the Jews were really, really strict in keeping the law, and they were more concerned that a man got healed on the Sabbath than they were that a man's soul and body that have been invalid for 30 years got healed physically, right? So there's a little bit of sign of legalism there, you see that, but um, the Jews uh, were very serious about keeping the law, and um, you can't really blame the Pharisees, can you? Like, think about the Pharisees for a minute, put yourself in that context. Um, it says here that Jesus, though a man, was calling himself equal with God, Right? I mean, think about the implications of that. Uh, If you remember two weeks ago, it's really important that in John chapter 4, the scripture was really laying out that Jesus was, in fact, a man, okay, and so we saw things like him going to the woman at the well, it says that he was tired from his journey, right, it says that uh, he was weary, exhausted, and so it showed that Jesus was actually, in fact, a man, right, God in the flesh, incarnate amongst us, Um, and why is this important that Jesus was a man? Because only a man is able to pay for man's sins, right? And we looked at that. And so it was important that Jesus was a man. A male and a goat are two different things, right? You agree with that? (laughs) I hope so, because if not, we have a whole other level of teaching we got to do today, okay? Um, But the goats were a good um, representation, right? They were a good uh, uh, symbol of what was to come, but a goat or a lamb or other sacrifices were not sufficient to pay for man's sins against God. A man had to come and do that. And so it was very important that Jesus was, in fact, a man, right? Um, In the same way, it's very important that Jesus was God, and this is what this chapter begins to lay out, right? Jesus is claiming to be God, and this is very important that he's both of these, okay? Why is that? In regards to our sin, only a God can correctly judge the sin that is offended against him, right? Only a God can correctly pay for man's sins. And so we have a little bit of a dilemma on our hand. Right, because only a man's blood can adequately pay for man's sins, yet only God is sufficient enough to save from man's sins and save man to himself, right? And so you need somebody who acts as both God and man And nobody's ever been that throughout human history, right? And so we have a little bit of a dilemma here, but this is what John is beginning to try to lay out for us. Jesus is, in fact, a man, right? He is, in fact, he was tired, he was weary, right? He lived, he had flesh, he dwelt just like we did. But he's also the God of the universe, okay? And so John, in these two chapters and throughout this book, lays out this unbelievably important principle. Jesus is both God and man. It's easy for us to forget about one and lean too heavily on the other, right? Right? Like some of us, it's really easy for us to see that Jesus was God right? Like that just makes sense to us. We kind of maybe grew up in church. We thought that maybe we uh, just had some experience where it was very, very clear, right? And Jesus was God, but we kind of forget about his humanity a little bit. Others of us, we may think that, yeah, Jesus was a human. He did nice things. He was a cool guy, a good teacher, but we don't see his divinity or we neglect to think about his divinity. And it's important to keep both of those in perspective because only a man can pay for man's sins, but only God is able to clear men or pardon. And so what do we do, right? If we are going to be reunited to the God of the universe, how in the world do we solve this dilemma? Scholars call this mystery the hypostatic union, all right, which I'm really convinced that every theological word is made just to sound us smarter than we actually are, right? Um, Right. The hypostatic union just simply means Jesus is 100% man and 100% God at the same time, right? Static, same, hypo, under, right? So there's a union. He is the same. uh, The two are the same uh, at the same time, right? And so there's this weird mystery going on. But how can this be, okay? So imagine if you're a Jew, right? And you're living under Yahweh, okay? And the God of the Bible, and you know there's only one God. In fact, God uh, puts you into exile for worshiping other gods continually throughout the Old Testament. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you see, over and over and over again, God was sending the Jews into exile because they kept worshiping these other gods. If there's one thing that the Jews of this culture understood, they understood there was only one God. Right? Now, they're living in a pluralistic culture. There are tons of other gods. We're living in uh, Rome. We're living in uh, where the Greek gods were and stuff. And they were living right in the, in the middle of all these pagan gods. But the Jews were really devoted. Yahweh alone is God. They learned their lesson from being sent into captivity over and over and over again. Then some dude comes around claiming to be God, right? Like, imagine if you're a Jew there, okay? Could you imagine if some guy comes in, right? Hey, guys, guess what? I'm God, <laughs> right? And he just kind of plainly says that over and over and over again. He's stating that he's God. Look, me and God are the same. He's my father. I'm his son. We're the same being. I am God. That would be really, really hard for you to come to terms with, would it not? Like, you're trying to follow God. You're trying to keep the law. And then this dude claims that he is God. Imagine if I, Tori Mayo, me, okay, said that. Like, imagine if I made a claim like that, you know? Like, hey, y'all, after the sermon today. If y'all felt moved by the sermon, I'm just gonna stand up here while the worship band comes and plays. And y'all can actually worship me. And in worshiping me, you're also worshiping God because I am God, me and God are the same, right? Isn't that crazy? Y'all are scared because I might get struck by lightning, even just making an analogy, right? It's like, it's scary even just to think about that. But this is what Jesus was saying, right? Jesus was claiming that he himself was God, okay? This is a heavy statement and this made the Jews very, very, very angry. They're ready to kill this apparent blasphemer. How can he make this claim? And I love what the text says here. It says they're ready to kill him all the more. Do you see that there in verse 18? All the more. It's like, man, we really wanted to kill this guy. And now he's claiming to be God. And all the more do we want to kill him, right? Um, When I was uh, going home for college um, several years ago, I went home. And uh, my brother and I have been boasting about who was better in this one video game, okay? Now, video game and claiming to be God, these are two different levels, right? But for us, the video game kind of felt at least like right here, right? So I come home and, you know, we've been talking to each other and um, he ended up beating me by like two points. I think it was basketball, like a NBA game or something, right? So he like shot three at the end and won and I swear the computer was cheating, even to date, okay? And so I was just so angry, I wanted to kill this dude, right? And uh, so I was like, man, the computer are cheating, like da-da-da, and he stands up, and then he starts pointing in my face and laughing, okay, all the more I wanted to kill him, right, um, and Jesus, in a way, is provoking even more in their anger, now, not in a mocking way, right, he's not, like, pointing his finger, but imagine you're a Jew, you're trying to keep the law, and in comes this man that keeps saying over and over and over again, I am God, I am God, I am God, and he shows it by his miracles, and he says it with his words, and he shows it by his actions, right? It's kind of like you're gonna be provoked to anger if you're trying to follow the one true God. And so this is what's going on here. And so the question that we have to ask is, is this true? Is this true? Is Jesus really God, right? Is he equal with God? Is he God himself, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, right? Is this a true statement? And secondly, if this is true, or even if there's a possibility that it's true, then what does that imply for us? right? What does that imply for us, okay? Jesus actually called himself God several times in this book already, uh, and we'll continue to show that he's gone throughout this book. He'll show it in his actions, in his words, by his character, how he expresses himself. He makes it very, very evident that Jesus is God. But is he really God, okay? We have to wrestle with that. So let's keep reading. Um, Real quick, quick side note. Um, whoever says that Jesus never claimed to be God, there's a strong emphasis in that, okay? And so um, I would just encourage you to take them through the book of John, all right, and read it, help them understand it. There are at least 20 direct or indirect, but very obvious examples where Jesus is fully confident that he's God. And the Pharisees are fully confident that this is what Jesus is claiming because this is why they killed him, for blaspheming, claiming to be God, right? And so over and over and over again, Jesus very clearly thinks thinks that he's God. And so whoever says that that was never in scripture, even in this text, we'll see it's in there over and over and over again. Jesus fully thought that he was God in the flesh, okay? So let's keep reading, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise, okay? Jesus is very clear here, all right? He submits himself to the Father, okay? Now, all Christians believe in the Trinity, all right? What the Trinity is, is one God, but three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all right? There's this weird mystery that is impossible to explain, because we're talking about there's only one God, but they, exist in three different persons, right? The clearest example that I could think of that Scripture gives us is, it's kind of similar to a husband and a wife, right? Scripture says that when you get married, you become one flesh, but we're still two different per- people Right? But and there's even some uh, 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 there's different roles within marriage, right? There's supposed to be a, a leadership that one person is supposed to take and on and on. And so we see that there's a difference, there's different roles, but at the same time it says that they're equal, right? And even the same being. That's the closest we can get. It's an imperfect example, but it's a small example nonetheless, all right? And so they're one in essence, but they're distinct in their works. And so in this, Jesus the Son submits to the Father. Right, and that's very, very clear. But he is still equal with the Father. This is a sermon in and of itself. Okay, but it's important to understand the Trinity within this passage. Even Jesus submits to the Father, but he's still equal with God. Okay. Um, However, even in this verse, we can see very, very clearly that the Son is divine. Right. Even in this verse, look at it again. It says, "The Son does likewise." The son does likewise, okay? God the father does all these great things and I as the son do the exact same thing. How in the world can someone do what God does unless he is God himself, right? Like create something out of nothing. Anybody in here ever done that? Right, nope. You know why? Because we are not God, right? But Jesus said, boom, I can do this, okay? Be omnipresent all over the place at once, omniscient, omnipotent, right? All-knowing, all-powerful, Jesus said, I am these things, and he claims this over and over and over again. So he says, yes, I am in submission to the Father as, right, the Trinity plays itself out, but I am also equal with God. I can do the same things that God can do. Me and the Father are equal. The Son shares in equality with God, okay? Keep reading, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. This verse explains verse 19. God loves Jesus, and so in Jesus' submission, the Father actually begins to show Jesus everything that he is doing. All right? However, at the same time, in Jesus' perfect and complete submission to the Father, and out of his love for the Father, the Father begins to show Christ everything right? This is a great picture of love that's going on here. So we have submission, we have roles, but we also have this intimacy within the Godhead, within the Trinity, right? There's this intimacy that the Father and the Son share. Why? Because they are of the same essence. They are of the same being, right? The Father shows the Son everything, and the Son completely honors the Father. Both honor each other in that, right? Um, Micaiah recently has been turning into a little bit of a daddy's girl. That's my daughter, in case you don't know, all right? Um, so she's been turning into a little bit of a daddy's girl recently, and it's been really, really cute. I will hold on to that as long as humanly possible, because I understand that does not last forever, right? Um, but she's been, like, running to me, wanting to give me hugs. I come home. She wants to be with me, right? And it's really, really cute. And in light of that, I kind of want to show her everything that I'm doing, right? And so she runs in while I'm working, and I'm trying to, like, explain the hypostatic union to her, right? <laughs> and she can't even understand English yet, barely. But, like, I want her to be with me right I want to show her I want to bring her in with me as her father and in the same way I actually feel honored when she obeys me right when she does what I tell her to do already that's becoming more rare okay but I will hold on to that as long as I can as well but in a very imperfect way once again but as a small picture that's what's going on between God the father and God the son right? The son wants to be in the father's presence. The father delights in that. He shows the son everything that he's doing. The son acts that out into perfect submission to the father, but he's equal with God, so he's able to act out everything that God the father shows him, right? Are y'all tracking with me so far? I know we're jumping around a little bit, but it's important to get the concept that Jesus is talking about here. Um, Something very key Jesus is doing and knowing everything about the father and living that out. Do you know what that's showing us about God? That's showing us exactly who God is, right? Jesus came onto earth and exegeted or highlighted or revealed God the Father to us, okay? Whatever you saw Jesus doing, you can actually directly associate that with the God of the universe, right? The God of the galaxies, okay? They are the same person. And so Jesus is actually living out what it would look like if God was in flesh walking with us, Sitting here with us today, Jesus was showing us what that would look like. He was interpreting God for us, right? So do you ever want to see the God of the universe, right? Do you want to see what he is like, okay? Do you want to see how he would act, right? Or um, how he would respond in blank situation? Or do you want to see what he would say in blank setting, right? Or do you want to see how he would feel towards whatever may be going on? Jesus is highlighting that for us. Jesus is showing us exactly what God the Father feels and thinks and how he would act because Jesus is equal with God. He is God, right? Jesus is showing us who God is, amen? I'm glad two people agree with that, (laughs) all right? This is huge, okay? This is very, very important for us to comprehend, right? Jesus is trying to show us this is what God is like. This is who the Father is. Do you ever feel like that God is just so big, right? He's so far out there. He's so beyond us that he doesn't really care about our day-to-day trials or situations, right? Like you really just need a little bit of money for a car repair so you could drive around. And it's really easy to feel like the God of the universe does not care about that because he's so big, right? There are 7 billion people here on earth. There are galaxies we don't even know about. God is just so huge, okay? However, Jesus would show the opposite is true, right? Do you remember last chapter where Jesus walked in and the one man who was laying there for 30 years, he said, do you want to be healed? And the man said, yeah, but I can't get into the pool. And Jesus says, take up your bed and walk, (laughs) right? Uh, You are healed. Jesus cares about this man. Do you remember how a couple of chapters ago, Jesus, okay, walked into the Samaritan village, breaking all sorts of cultural barriers, breaking all sorts of economical barriers, breaking all sorts of, of social barriers, just so he can go talk to this woman, just so that he can explain who God is, just so that she can see who God was and worship him truly. Jesus crossed all the way over there just to get to her, right? And we see this over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. There's a time that Jesus walks on water. Do you remember that story, right? Do you know that he walked across the sea, went to one person, shared the Gospel with him? He wanted him to stay, but the town was afraid of Jesus, so Jesus went back and they left that one person by himself. He just wanted that one person to believe in him, so he would walk across seas even just to get one person to believe who he is, right? Right? Jesus is God, and God cares about us. And Jesus is showing that, right? Jesus is showing us what the Father would look like or act like in certain situations. Do you remember when Lazarus died, if you're familiar with Scripture? We'll look at that here in several weeks, okay? John 9, uh, Lazarus dies, right? And then what happens, right? Sorry, John 11. And then what happens Jesus goes, and it says that he knows he's going to heal Lazarus. Jesus let Lazarus die so that he could heal him, so that he he could show off God's power, so he could show once again that he is God. Yet he walks into the town, and what's the first thing he does? Someone starts crying, and what does Jesus do? Cries, right? Shortest verse in scripture, Jesus wept, right? Like, Jesus cared about Lazarus. He knew what he was going to do. (laughs) He knew he was going to heal him, yet and still he felt this emotion towards Lazarus. Jesus cares. What is that showing us that God cares? The God of the universe cares about you, about me. Even in our little tiny situations or things that we may feel are small, God is present with us and he was showing that to us through his son because he sent his son to physically be present with us to show us what he himself is like, God with us, Emmanuel, right? Do you remember how zealous Jesus was for correct worship in John 2? That he would flip over tables, make people mad, risk his own life just to make sure the Gentiles were able to worship correctly? Right? Do you remember how, how, how he did this thing to Nicodemus where he was, you know, Nicodemus came to him really weird, right, at night. And even though a Pharisee, Jesus still broke down the law for him, helped Nicodemus see. And it looks like throughout John, Nicodemus begins to believe Jesus over and over and over again showed us what God the Father would look like. Jesus is showing us God, okay? Keep going. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will, okay? Let's stop at this again. Jesus at the end of verse 20 says, I want you to marvel, meaning what? He's going to continue to show them God in hopes that they will begin to believe in God and begin to follow him as God. So I'm going to keep doing things, Jesus says, in hopes that you would be able to believe in who God is. Okay, so he says, I want you to marvel at that. Then here, Jesus begins to show he's equal with God again in this verse. How is that? In the Old Testament, it was really clear that uh, there were three things that only God can do. God and God alone, right? Um, only God can give life. That was one of the three things. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7. You can jot that down, look it up later as a reference. But it says, only God can give life. Okay. Only, who, who am I? God name. It says only, only God can give life. The rabbis actually in the Old Testament, um, and the time of Jesus, they created this saying where it said that, uh, there were three things that they had concluded that only God can do based on scriptures. Okay. One of those things was to give rain over and over and over again. God says, I give rain. I withhold, I withhold it. Right. So only God can give rain. Only God can give life. And only God can resurrect from the dead. And the rabbis knew that very, very clearly. They had all the scripture to back it up, right? No one but God can do these things. And then Jesus, in submission to the Father, says that I and God are so equal, we are so much the same that I can do what I please, I can give life how I please. Look at that verse again, right? He's making a pretty aggressive claim toward these Pharisees who believed only God can give life. And Jesus says, I give life however I please to give it. You remember that guy in the last chapter, how I literally gave him new life, right? And over and over again, Jesus does this. He even gives life to the dead, we'll see later, right? Only God can do this. Jesus is saying, but I have that authority. Why? I am God, right? Jesus over and over again saying, look, I am God. I hope I say that like a hundred times today because that's the point of the sermon, right? Jesus is God, okay? He wants you to see this with him. Keep reading. Verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him, okay? This man, Jesus, is either a lunatic or a Lord by this verse, all right? If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, he had the famous, Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or Lord, you can't put him in any other box, right? And I think that's very, very true. In this verse, I would even pull out liar and say, Jesus is either a really, really wacko dude, right? Worthy of extreme fury, which is what the Pharisees were giving him, or really, really aggressive sympathy. Like we should feel really sad that this dude thought that he was God to this extent, or he's God, right? There's really no dividing those two, okay? This dude is wacko, so you can't really call him a good teacher, Right? Because this dude is either straight up lying to us and he was a little bit insane, so I don't know if you really want to follow his sayings, or he was actually God in the flesh, okay? Like, look at this. This is an extreme saying, right? Jesus is claiming equality with God. Over and over and over again, Jesus is showing us this, right? Um, Any man who repeatedly gives himself the same authority as God, as Jesus is doing, is to be given an extreme response either aggressive belief, and faith in him, or aggressive rejection, right? There isn't really good room to kind of stay in the middle here because a a response as intense as this deserves an intense response by us, right? So Jesus is trying to show us this over and over again. Keep reading, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Jesus here says, if you want to be saved from your sins, if you want to know me, if you want to know the God of the universe, then you do that through me. Right? Jesus says, look, if you want to have life, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know God of the universe, if you want to receive the life that is offered, then you do that through me. Okay? It's really, really interesting here. Look at Jesus says, is now here. Right? Do you see that there? He says, is now here. So we're not talking about life at the end, okay, like eternal life, you die and go to heaven or hell. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But he's saying, even right now, you can have life in me. Right, All of the joy that you want to feel, all of the hope that you're longing for, I, Jesus, can give that to you. He says, this is what he's talking about in life, right? I mean, when we think about life, what do we want out of it, right? Joy or peace or love. And Jesus says, I can give those things. And he says it over and over and over and over again, right? And so when I did not know Jesus, okay, as a young adult and I'm walking into adulthood and I'm struggling with this anger, I received Jesus. Jesus all of a sudden begins to wash over that and makes me a man of peace, when I'm struggling with lust, he washes over that. When I'm struggling with needing love and needing affection, he gives me that. When I need hope, he gives me that. This is why we're like these candles, right? He is the God of hope, the God of peace, the God of joy. Okay, he can give you these things. And Jesus says, if you come to me, if you believe in me, if you place your faith in me, then you can have these things. You can have all the things that are offered in God in scripture through me. Why? Because Jesus is God, right? Now later on in verse 28, he also switches to the end where he talks about eternity. So not only will we receive life now, but by believing in Jesus, we'll receive eternal life, right? But even right now, like even today, we can have life in him. This is one of the reasons why I love Baptism Sundays, right? Because we get to stand up here and look at two, three, four, today, four people, right? Begin to give their testimony and say, this is what God has done in my life, and I have life now through him. I cry every single baptism, every single one of them, because I hear these stories and I go, Jesus is God, (laughs) right? He's truly real. I shouldn't do that. That hurts so bad, (laughs) right? We have a couple more minutes to go, so let me finish that. But I love these Sundays, right? Jesus is God, and they have seen that in their own lives. They have accepted that. They begin to experience that Jesus is actually God, and their lives now look very different because of that, right? Their lives are beginning to be filled with hope, and you'll hear that. Their lives are beginning to be filled with peace, and you'll hear that. Their lives are beginning to be filled with joy, and you'll hear that, and it's not some temporary joy, right? But even through suffering, as every Christian experiences, there's something different in Christ, is there not? Like all of you, if you've been in the faith for more than two years, you know suffering happens. But there's something weird and different when you suffer as a Christian versus when you suffer outside of Christ. God gives some overwhelming comfort and joy, and it's not this like weird false hope, but it's actually hope in who He is. And Jesus begins to reveal that to us, right? He speaks that into our hearts. It's a mysterious thing that is impossible to explain, but everybody who knows Christ can attest to that truth. That's why we're so zealous that we want everyone to know Christ, right? Because of the hope, the joy that we've experienced, we want them to have as well. Jesus is God, and because of that, He's able to give what only Only God can give life, true joy, the fruits of the spirit, right? And so because of this, the Pharisees are a little bit angry, right? This is what the whole section was kind of around. They wanted to kill Jesus and Jesus just keeps saying over and over and over again, look, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, right? Let's finish it up here. Uh, 26. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted to the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Remember, three things that only God holds, by the way rain, life, and resurrection. Right? Here we go. It starts right here and it ends in verse 29. Jesus has the key to resurrection as well. Keep reading. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and they will come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says, when my voice reigns, right, when I come through and speak, then people will be resurrected. I have the power, the authority to both give life and to give resurrection. Now, the Jews are probably really angry at this because they're rabbis, and they understand, right, that only God has those powers, But Jesus says, no, look, I do too, right? I do too. Let me quickly highlight. I have a little chart up here um, just to highlight real quick. Jesus is equal with God in. This is what he's claiming equality with God with, right? In his works, he says in verse 19, in his knowledge there in verse 20, in his resurrecting power, he says in 21, and then again there in 28 and 29, in his judgment, in his honor, they should receive the same honor, he says. If you believe in me, you are believing in the Father, Right? Once again, if I tell you to worship me, I am not honoring God the Father, am I not? But when Jesus says worship him, he's saying you are honoring God the Father. That is worshiping God the Father because we are God and God is honored when you worship his son, right? And regenerating man and creating new life in man, even in self-existence there in verse 26. Did you see that? Jesus says, I have life in myself, only God can say that, right? Like we are dependent on God. Every breath scripture says God is granting us that breath. It is a grace of his to allow us to be alive. Jesus says, I don't need that because I am God. I self-exist. I have life in myself, right? And so over and over and over again, Jesus is trying to show us that he is equal with God, okay? So now we have to wrestle with, do we actually believe that? Like, do we actually believe that Jesus is God, okay? And if so, have we come to place our faith and have we come to place our trust in him, right? That's the question that we have to really wrestle with. And maybe you're not convinced that Jesus is God, right? Like, maybe you're kind of wrestling with that. Maybe you're like, I don't believe that at all. That's okay. And I'm actually really glad that you're here, right? I would encourage you to wrestle with that, right? I would encourage you to try to figure that out. Is Jesus really God? Because this is the crux of everything in the world, right? Like if what Jesus says is true, if we either have life in Christ or death outside of Christ, then if you don't know Jesus as God, if you haven't begun to believe in that, Jesus says what you're experiencing is not life. That's why you feel that void in your heart at times. That's why you feel that hopelessness, right? Like what happens after you die? That's it? That's the end. What does your life mean? Is there meaning? Is there significance to your life? In Christ, it says we have eternal significance. Everything we do, right, echoes throughout all of eternity, right? But outside of Christ, like, what do we do, right? Make a computer. Someone makes it better. We die. We're forgotten. Like, is that really what life is about? And so even in our existence, Jesus says, no, I give life even within that, right, right? in our hope, in our joy, in our peace, in our love, in our marriages, in our work, in our sex life, in our everything begins to be altered by the gospel. When we believe in Jesus, everything starts changing, right? Even the way we handle our money or our love or our service, all these things get flipped around because of the gospel. And the question is, do you believe that, right? If not, or if you've never even thought about that, I would, I, would, I would plead with you, plead with you. Don't check out on Jesus. Give him some time, right? Come to him. Try to figure out, is he really God? Jesus wants your affection, right? He's allowing you to stay alive even right now to begin to test that thought. Is he God, right? And I would plead with you. Come see if he's God or not, right? Ask some people who know him, right? You know, there are fake people around. Christians give God a bad name sometimes. I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, right? And so even I at times will not represent Jesus well, but Jesus will represent God the Father in perfection. And so come, talk to people, right? Try to figure this out, but I would just really encourage you, if Jesus is God, if what he's saying is true, then literally life right now and life after death depends on this truth. The reason that we believe that we'll have life after death is because Jesus did not die and stay dead. He's the only man that died and then hopped back up out of the grave by himself right? Other men have died, okay? And by God's grace, he's even risen some men up, right? Like Lazarus. But only Jesus died, and by his own power and his own authority, hopped up out of the grave. Amen? That's why we believe that we will hop up out of the grave, because Jesus has already proven that. He's defeated death, and by coming to him, we too can defeat death. And so I would plead with you, come see who Jesus is. See if he's actually God, okay? And for Christians— I would encourage you, do you really believe that, (laughs) right? Like, is our day-to-day lives orchestrated around that belief that Jesus is actually God? Because if so, he demands our worship and our obedience, right? There are things that Christ has called us to do that he knows will give us joy and will give us life, okay? All things that he has commanded is really ironic. It's actually for our joy, right? But it's also for his glory. Are we ready to glorify God the Father with our lives? Do we worship him as God the Father? What a holy, what an awesome God who is so worthy of our worship and affection. Jesus came down to earth to live like us, broken, messed up men, right? Dwelt amongst the crooked world, died the death that we should have died, living the life that we could never live and desires to give us that life. Jesus is worthy of our worship and of our affection. If he's truly God, then we have to honor him as such, right? And so as a Christian, I would plead with you, remember that truth. Remember the truth that altered your life in the first place, that Jesus is God. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. And so even as we celebrate baptisms today, right, even in our service that we're doing, even as we sing worship songs, would you meditate on that fact that Jesus is actually God, God loves you so much that he incarnated himself amongst you to show you the way to the Father. God loves you so much that he suffered the sin that you should have suffered, right? Drank the wrath of God so that we can have a relationship with him. God is deeply zealous for your affection and he proved it over and over and over and over again. So let's correctly give him the affection that he deserves. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for being God. That sounds silly to say, but it's true. God, without you, we do not have a whole lot of hope in this world, Jesus. We are left hopeless God we are trying to find our own way we have to make up our own paths God but you have laid it out so very plainly for us God and so I pray through a very imperfect sermon God through a very imperfect people that you would begin to display your glory through us Jesus God work up in our heart the desire to know who you are so that we can know God the Father so that we can have life Jesus in you is life and you give that to us and I thank you for that Christ God, I pray that if we have not believed this truth, that you would impress on our hearts to begin to do that, God. Break down our pride that we think we're significant. God, we act like we're God. (laughs) Like we can do this by ourselves. God, I am a weak man. I mess up over and over and over and over again, but your grace is sufficient. God, let us lean into that truth, God, into the truth that your grace is sufficient, Jesus. Help us to begin to believe in you, to really run towards you, Christ, to fall in love with you, Jesus, that our hearts may give you the worship that you deserve, God, that we may live the life that, that you want us to live, finding joy in that life, God, because we are walking it with you. God, I pray you would just do a great work in our hearts, God. Just do a great work, Lord. Begin to move us closer and closer toward knowing who you are and falling in love with you. Thank you for living amongst us, Jesus. We praise in your precious name. Amen.